Well, we are once again delving into Deuteronomy. Delving is a good word. It's, it's always a delve, a delve, a deep dive. And we've come to the end of the beginning of Deuteronomy, the end of the beginning. Moses has been for the last chapter or so shifting our minds from the deeds, the work of God over, over the history of uh, Israelite wandering through the wilderness to a call to obedience to the commands of God, to following God. And this is sort of the last shift, if you will. This is, after this, it's going to be like those, those cliff jumpers in Acapulco. Isn't that where it is? So they jump and dive off 100-foot cliffs into uh, the, the crashing waves below. Um, that's what it's going to be like for us as we delve into the law portion of the book of Deuteronomy. And we'll be in that deep for quite some time. So this is the kind of, there'll be moments of coming up for air, but this is, this is kind of uh, the last little moment of that before we enter into the depths. So with that, let's turn to our text. We are in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 32 to 40. Deuteronomy 4, 32 to 40. It's printed for you in your bulletins. Hear God's word. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire? Did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out, I'm sorry, out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today... And lay it on your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. Uh, We thank you that you are indeed the living God and that you speak to us, uh, that you have given us your word. So, Lord, speak to us through your word this morning and impress it on our hearts by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. What causes you to wonder? In the best sense, not wonder like, I wonder whether or not, but wonder. What causes you to just kind of step back and just gasp in awe and in amazement? Maybe it is 
a view from a mountaintop or a starry sky on a moonless night or some masterpiece of art or of architecture, maybe a symphony, maybe watching a top athlete perform at their very best. Yes, watching Aaron Judge hit a home run. Yes, it was an amazing thing. It was a terribly amazing thing. Sorry. It causes you to wonder. The truth is this. I wonder if we haven't lost a bit of our ability to wonder. Especially in this technological age, the the reality is that we can Google all sorts of extraordinary things. We can pull up YouTube and we can type in the top 10 most, most extraordinary things in the world today. And all of a sudden there'll be videos of absolutely spectacular things. Our big screen TVs render pictures so vivid and close up that there's little reason to explore the world from anywhere other than the comfort of our couches. I'm very glad for taste, touch, and smell, and that technology hasn't quite caught up in those areas. Right? But as soon as they figure out how to deliver those things through the TV, well, <laughs> you're never going to leave home. You're never going to get off the couch. We, we get kind of comfortable with the extraordinary. It's easy for us to make the extraordinary common and take the most spectacular things for granted. Once we see it on YouTube, whatever it is, top 10 most amazing animals, top 10 most amazing restaurants, top 10 most amazing feats of strength, we lose interest and we move on. Been there, done that. And here's the thing, for the believer, there's also an aspect of this to our Christian faith. We do this with God himself. We, we take him for granted, don't we? We don't stop to think about who he is very often. We just say, oh yeah, God created the world. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, he redeemed me. We sing about it maybe, but I think sometimes we don't stop and wonder. Stop and smell the roses for a bit, right? Let's, let's take a step back and wonder at God. That's what I want us to do through our texts. Spend a bit of time wondering about this God. And my hope is that in contemplating it, we might see his power and his love anew. That we would come sort of with fresh eyes and see the greatness of our God and his redemption. That is my hope. And then from that place that we might live lives as those living in God's world, loved by him. Sorry for all the L's in the alliteration. So we're going to look at this in three parts. I want to wonder at the living God. Just spend time wonder at the living God. And secondly, wonder at our loving God. Just wonder at a God who loves us. And then finally, I want to talk about our response to the wonder of God. Talk about our response to the wonder of God. So wonder at the living God. Moses begins his closing remarks, as I said, his closing remarks in this section of Deuteronomy. With a set of rhetorical questions, Moses asks, with reference to all, those, all that has gone on from creation to Exodus to Sinai to now being in the, the, the plains of uh, Moab, about to enter the promised land, Moses asks the rhetorical question. He says, from one end of the heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as what you've seen God do over this time has ever happened anywhere. 
And then he gets really specific. Verse 33 he says, did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you've heard and still live? course here he's referring to that moment in Mount Sinai which I've referred to over and over again where God spoke forth his law on the mountain uh, back at the beginning of their exodus journey but then in their verse 34 he goes on he says or has any God ever attempted to go and take possession for himself from the midst of another nation by trials by signs by wonders and by war by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes That's that rhetorical question. He's bringing to memory the time that they spent in Egypt when Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And what happens? The Lord brings all sorts of plagues on Egypt. And eventually Pharaoh says, "Okay, go get out of here. Right. Especially after the last plague, the plague of the firstborn son. And he lets him go, but he changes his mind and he chases Israel through the Red Sea as Moses By God's power spreads the waters and they walk forward on the dry ground and then the waters follow behind and swallow up the army of Pharaoh. Moses is saying, have you seen anything like that ever before? Moses is encouraging the Israelites to explore the wonder and the power of God. That's what he's doing. He's he's wanting them to think about it. Go, ask around, go from one end of the heavens to the other. Ask anyone, anywhere, has there ever been a God who has done the things that you've seen? Moses is saying, stop, time out, let's just sit and rest in the power of God, thinking about it. As we reflect and think about God's awesome display of power to Israel, we might be tempted to think, well, that's great for Israel. Lord showed himself to them in these amazingly dramatic ways. Of course they'd be in awe. Of course they would wonder at the power of God. Of course they would know that the Lord is God. But it's different for us, isn't it? There's no seas that are being parted. There's no manna falling from heaven. There's no no water coming out of rocks. There's no pillar of fire and pillar of smoke that's going before us. And there's no, no sort of mass pictures of God's deliverance in those dramatic ways. And it's easy for us to start to think, don't we get less? Look at the power of God, we get less. Is it a little harder, do you think, for us to sense God's greatness and his wonder? But there are two things that I want to note. First, their dramatic experience of God did not prevent them from losing wonder. Right? The Israelites are just a story of the amazing power of God on display and forgetfulness and rebellion and turning away from the Lord. Forty days after God spoke to them out of fire from the mountaintop, they were worshiping a golden calf. Forty days. So I'm not sure it would work any different for us, would it? If we were to see these amazingly dramatic expressions in physical ways of the power of God in those sort of Old Testament pictures, I don't think it would be any different for us. 
That's one point. The second point with regard to this question uh, as to did they have it better in some way is that I think we take for granted our advantage over the Israelites of old. We take for granted our advantage. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater even than he. What's Jesus saying here? So John the Baptist had come, he he was sort of the last of the great Old Testament prophets, and he had come, and he had come to prepare the way of the Lord. He was pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus calls him the greatest of all the prophets, greater even than Moses in some sense. And then he goes on, did you hear these words? Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than him, than he. Jesus here is saying, John the Baptist, the last of these Old Testament prophets, was great. But I'm greater. And you enjoy all the riches of being this side of the cross. Being on this side of the cross of Jesus Christ. All those Old Testament prophets longed for, looked for, wanted the day that we see as we look back. We have the full revelation of Jesus Christ, and they did not enjoy that. The prophets of old had vague shadows and pictures. So you are right in thinking that God does not speak to his people today out of a fiery mountain, and he does not go before us as a pillar of smoke and fire, and he does not feed us with manna. From heaven or give us water from rocks, all very awesome displays of the power of God. And yet I say good. I say great. That is a wonderful thing. Here's why. Instead of thundering the law from the unapproachable mountain, God drew near to us and revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, the living word. And he proclaimed good news, grace and salvation. And instead of dwelling in a tabernacle carefully guarded by Levites and accessible only through sacrifice and only in very limited ways, God tabernacles with us. He dwells in our midst by His Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. We are His temple. Race. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. And instead of giving us physical bread from heaven, he has given us the eternal word, the bread of life. Jesus himself, his only son, who nourishes us with with life. Eternal life. And instead of giving us water from a rock, he quenches that thirst that only he can quench with rivers of living water. And instead of bringing us out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the land of Canaan, he redeems us. And he raises us from death to eternal life. And he is leading us home to glory. Now all those truths, are, all those things are true, actually spiritually true, of faithful believing Israel. Of those who put their faith in the hope of the Messiah. But they didn't have the fulfillment of it. They didn't see it. They had pictures and symbols and types and shadows. Friends, in Christ we have the substance of these things. What an encouragement. It is a wonder to think about God 
Who is like him? You may think, well, there are all sorts of religions and gods out there. Surely the Christian God does not have the market on these things. And if that's where you're at, I encourage you, go, look, seek, compare, go from one end of heaven to the other. Look for a God like this who has the power to create and the power to redeem. Who can give us life eternal. Go from one corner of heaven to the other. You will not find another. There is only one true and living God. Wonder at him. Wonder at it. Sing with the psalmist in Psalm 40, verse 5, that says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them. Yet they are more than can be told. Isn't that true? Wonder at the living God. But secondly, wonder also at our loving God. At our loving God. The deeds of the living God are not without an object or a purpose. They are done for the people of God out of his love for them. And Moses highlights this point. Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34. It says, Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? Here, Moses highlights the power of God and redemption from Egypt, which I've already mentioned. The emphasis of this verse is not so much on the power of God. You hear that? It certainly has to do with the power of God, but its emphasis is not on the power of God. It's on the power of God for them. For them. Notice the frame of the question. Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? And then farther on, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes. It's intriguing that Moses even contemplates the possibility of other gods, isn't it? You think about that. That's all throughout Scripture. There's always like, oh, there's one true and living God. There's all these other gods. And there's this sort of Playfulness when, when, when Scripture talks about other gods. Um, but it's part of the rhetorical force. There is no other living God. That's the reality. But there are many gods. But the strength of the gods was determined by the strength of the nation. That was kind of God and nation went hand in hand. You know, here in late Western America, we separate those. We do say in our, you know, things, one nation under God. But in reality, we do our best to kind of bifurcate religion and civil sphere. But in the ancient world, there was no bifurcation. Civil sphere and religious sphere were all one. And so, if you were a powerful nation, like Egypt, you had a powerful God, most powerful. Uh, They were the greatest nation, uh, at least in that area, that anyone knew about. They were the most powerful and therefore had the most powerful God. An enslaved people in Egypt de facto had an impotent God. And they could, anybody looking on Israel would have blamed either the impotence of their God or the cruelty of their God or the lack of ability of their God to save them. But that was kind of the world they lived in. If, if you were enslaved, if you were nobody, you had a powerless God. 
So when Moses asked, did a God ever go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation? And in fact, the most powerful nation by such extraordinary means, the answer is a resounding no. That doesn't happen. But the emphasis, as I've already said, is not on the power of God, certainly part of it. But the emphasis, the central point is that God has made a people for himself. This powerful, awesome creator God, the only true and living God, has set his affection on the powerless. Slaves in Egypt. Moses says to Israel throughout these questions, the living God did this for you. And isn't this the most amazing truth? That the God of the universe the creator and sustainer of all things, the only true and living God, the judge of the whole earth, redeems a people like us for himself. When we look at Jesus, the one who came to set us free, we who were in bondage to sin, not because we were innocent, but because of our rebellion against God. Our bondage was not something that happened to us without us. It was our own sort of self-imposed bondage, our own sin, our own fallenness, our own rebellion. And yet Jesus, through the cross and the resurrection, redeems his people. Who is a God like this who loves us and redeems us through his only son? But Moses goes on to say, not only has he shown you himself by redeeming you with the power that you may know him, But he also says, he, as your heavenly father, disciplines you. Moses said, out of the heaven, he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. That doesn't sound too good, does it, actually? Um, When we think of discipline, we often have negative connotations with it. But but discipline is a good thing. I was talking to a couple folks before the service, and uh, we were just noting how important discipline is. Parents lovingly discipline their children. And if you didn't in any way, shape, or form discipline your children, uh, you would not be considered a very loving parent. Hebrews 12 makes a point about God's discipline. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. And when there's, Hebrews is talking about enduring suffering and all sorts of things. But God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom this, his father does not discipline? This loving God disciplines us. He redeems us and he disciplines us. But thirdly, Moses doesn't stop with the redemption and discipline. He shows his love for us and his faithfulness to his promises. Notice verse 37 where it says, Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them. And then a little later, to bring you in and to give you their land for an inheritance. So this powerful God, this loving God, is a faithful God. And this despite the fact that Israel is unfaithful. God was yet faithful. What a wonder. That when we consider all the ways that we are wayward, not just in obedience to God, but even in our love for one another, our love for our closest of friends and family, uh, who here hasn't taken for granted their most precious loved ones?
despite our unfaithfulness, God never takes us for granted. Everything is his in all the world, yet he considers his people precious. His steadfast love towards his people is such that even Christ, his only begotten son, willingly left the realms of glory to lay down his life for us. He never takes his people for granted. He delved to the very depths of hell to show his faithfulness. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul? Faithfulness, loving kindness, wonder at the living God, wonder at our loving God. And finally, and in conclusion, let us respond with thankful obedience and enjoy all the blessings of our Lord. There's only one verse of law here in our text. The very last verse. Verse 40 says, therefore, you see that? He said all these wondrous things about God, the God, powerful God, the only true and living God, the faithfully loving God. And he says, therefore, because of the God that we have, therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. This is a bit unusual for Deuteronomy. One verse. Most of Deuteronomy is going to be delving, as I said, like those divers in Acapulco going into the deeps of the law. But here he is relishing, he is resting in the greatness of God. He's, he's looking up at the, the magnificence of the, his God and creator and for Israel. And at the very end, he says, and therefore, one verse. And even in the midst of this one verse of, therefore, I command you today, there's all this blessing attached to it. Look at it. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I commanded you today. And here are the blessings that it may go well with you and with your children after you. That you may prolong days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. Obedience is not just, well, I'm God and you do as I say. Obedience is the way of life. It's, it's, it's the path of, of blessing. It's the way that God made the world to be ordered and to run. And as we walk in the way of God, as we run in his paths, as we follow Christ in obedience, it's a blessing. Now, as an aside, in the Old Testament, especially at this stage, the blessings were very physical. They were, they were, the manifestation of God's blessings were pictured in the physical blessing of the land, peace in the land, stability in the land. But those blessings that God has for us, those pictures of Old Testament blessing of physical things, ultimately find their fulfillment in spiritual blessing. The goodness of God to us. The blessing of joy. The blessing of peace. The blessing of enjoying the hope of eternity. Freedom from sin. The blessing of the power of the Spirit that works in and through us. What an amazing thing. 
We're going to spend a lot of time thinking about what it looks like to follow in that way. Today, I just want to end with this thought. Wondering at the powerful living Lord who faithfully redeems us through Christ, who indwells in us, who dwells in us by his Holy Spirit, who empowers us to walk in that way that we might enjoy life. Life. Who is a God like this? Who is a God like this? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we confess that we are often forgetful. We often take you for granted. We don't stop and wonder at your gospel. We don't stop and wonder at your greatness and your power. And so, Lord, oftentimes we don't walk in your way. Lord, may it be that as we consider who you are, your wonder, would, Lord, work in our hearts and out into our lives in faithfulness to you, in obedience to your word, that we might enjoy all the blessings of life in Christ. We pray for these things in Christ Jesus. Amen.